Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in the end, at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 14. And in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. But as I've said a number of times, his letter is meant for the whole church. And in our text this morning, we get another reminder of that. So far in the book, we've heard what elders should be like, what deacons should be like, what their wives and families should look like. We've heard about the unity and modesty that we as men and women are to have in worship. And we've heard from the very beginning what Paul's goal is in this letter. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And now in our passage this morning, Paul comes back and rests the weight of making that happen all squarely on the pastor's shoulders, on Timothy. And so the commentators are all uh, quick to point out that it's quite the burden. Most of the commentators that you read that are worth anything are uh, pastors themselves, and so they feel the weight that Paul is placing on Timothy, as I feel that weight. All of this work... All of this letter is written to this one pastor, Timothy, but it's written really to all the pastors, but it's not just written to all the pastors, but all the people, as we've seen. It's a public letter, and so everybody's supposed to know what it means for them and what it means for the pastor. And so as Paul rests this work, this responsibility, On to Timothy, at the same time, he's also telling everybody else how to live. And even more importantly, he's explaining how deeply connected we are to one another. So let's stand now as we read just these few verses from 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. But I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Verse 16, we see this first confession earlier in our service, we together recited 
one of the early confessions. And as time has gone on, the, the confessions have gotten more uh, long, right? <laughs> the confessions have gotten longer. And this one is a very early one, and it's a very short one. It's, it's so boiled down, it's summarized so succinctly. And it's so, so deep. And that's why Paul calls this confession, this common confession, uh, mystery of godliness, all that that confession entails. It's, it's a great mystery of godliness. But God did not just establish the truth of the mystery of godliness through his son. So this confession is about his son, right? It's, it's speaking of the work that came about through Jesus Christ, starting out being revealed in the flesh and ending with being taken up in glory, right? This is the truth of the mystery. But the thing is, Jesus came, he did his work, he was taken up in glory, and that was not how the final truth was established. It was the final truth. It is the truth that's being spoken of here. But God didn't just leave it at, here, Jesus came and did this, and then he went up into heaven. And the reason why is because if that's all he had done, how would the good news spread? How would anybody hear about it? And so God, in his infinite wisdom, instead of just sending his son, also through his son, established a house for himself. Just as he promised that he would to David. He established a house for himself. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because it is through that house his church, that the truth of the mystery in that confession that we just read, it's through that house that the truth of the mystery is declared. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm talking about, first and foremost, preaching in the church, right? God has established a house and and given leaders so that there would be preaching. And this is what Timothy is being exhorted by the Apostle Paul to do, to to not abandon the gifts that he received by the Spirit. And he is being instructed by Paul to preach and teach with authority, to proclaim the good news. Why? so that the gospel would spread. Because remember, they're to pray 
as we saw in chapter 1, that all would come to a knowledge and faith in our Lord. And so it is through the declaration of the church that the church grows. Now this is just like a family. And the reason it's just like a family is because it is a family. It's called the household of God in our text. How does a family grow? A family does not grow from the outside. A family grows from the inside, right? And even with adoption, this is a work of the family on the inside to, to bring others in. And this is, what, this is what we see as the good news that God is, God is doing and has done Part of the mystery that Paul is talking about is the fact that this is no longer only for the Jews, but that others have been adopted into the family. And so the church is established by God so that the truth would be declared. And it is through the declaring of that truth that the church grows. The church grows from the inside. I was a part of a conversation this week among some pastors talking about preaching. And it's, in particular, street preaching came up. And the question of, what street preaching is and and why we should or maybe shouldn't do it. And what's interesting is that it's clear that the church has been established for for this to be this pillar in support of the truth, right? And, And that, therefore, the declaration goes out from the church, And one of the things that you see often with those who are committed to so-called street preaching is that they are not sent out from the church, they are not committed to the church, but they are committed to doing their own thing, okay? And so this is where some of the confusion comes in um, among pastors discussing this. Like, what exactly is this thing, street preaching? Now, how many of you have ever seen a street preacher before? Did it make you uncomfortable? Raise your hand if it made you uncomfortable. Okay. Um, How many of you have ever done some street preaching? Anybody? I have. One one other. Did it make you uncomfortable? (laughs) I'm going to keep my hand up. Yes. Uh, If we want to understand the purpose of any kind of preaching, we have to come to this text. We We have to come to this text. There's no way for us to understand 
why preaching happens in the church, what preaching should look like outside of the church, who should be doing that preaching, when, where, how. We can't understand any of that until we understand first and foremost that this is the household of God and that the work that is being done is the work of growing, establishing, building that church, that household. It is through the declaration of truth that the gospel is spread. Now, there are various ways of declaring the gospel, right? And what we often want to do is we want to make we want to make our actions into the declaration. We just want to live our life in a sort of good way and and let everybody uh, see that we are good people. Now, not, that's not really what we would say, right? What we would say is we want everybody to see that our behavior is good and therefore wonder why and how and ask us that question, ask us about the hope that is within us, right? But elsewhere, Paul writes, and he's writing about the necessity of the word being proclaimed. And he says that they will not believe unless there is a preacher. And there won't be a preacher unless he is sent. And so what I want you to see is that all of the evangelistic work of the church, all of the the work of the household of God expanding in the world happens from the inside out. It's not something that individuals go and do on their own. We do not build the church of God, capital C, as individuals. Now, that may sound kind of extreme to say that, because, of course, we live in an individualistic country where the individual is made the most important element of any uh, activity, of any, uh, any, you know, corporation, you got the CEO and it's like the individual, it's the individual and the individual's choice. This is, this is our nation. And so that's part of why it sounds extreme for me to say that it's not individuals that build the kingdom. <clears throat> but the other reason that it sounds extreme is because Paul is writing to Timothy And he lays it all on the shoulders of Timothy, right? (laughs) And so it's hard for us to understand how the, how the, the work could be done, how the church could grow without individuals. And it's true, it can't. But it's individuals in a family. One of the things that's so sad today about the, the destruction of family life in our nation is that we've lost any concept or understanding of what constitutes a family, what makes a family. 
And so we don't have any idea that there's anything wrong with a single mother. As a matter of fact, we've done, we've done away with the shame of it to the extent that people will intentionally do it, even going out of their way to adopt single people adopting. Now, this is, this is sort of like the person who refuses to be a part of any church and yet is always talking about how they're proclaiming the gospel, always trying to convert people, always speaking of the good news, all right, and then handing them a Bible at the end and saying, now you go read this. You don't bring people into nothingness. You don't bring people into singleness, individualism. You bring people through the declaration of God's word into the family of God, the household of faith. You bring them into the church of the living God. And so the declaration of the gospel, the declaration of this mystery of truth, okay, and that's really what the gospel is, and then we see it summarized in those few, in that little confession at the end in verse 16, right? This, this mystery declared. It's declared, and the church grows. Now, that happens through the church. And it is also through the church that that truth, that mystery, is preserved. So the, so the mystery is declared by the church so that the church would grow, all right? And the mystery is preserved by the church. Now, how is it preserved? Well, again, if we think about families, how are families preserved? How is the family of David preserved? Well, part of it is through protection. When, you, when, when we see him chased out of Jerusalem, his capital city, by his own son, right? This, is the, this brings together both aspects of being preserved but it, as their exact opposite, right? So he's no, he's no longer safe. He's no longer being preserved. And his family is no longer being preserved down through the generations. Because why? Because his son is attacking him. There is fighting within the family, right? And that's not how the family of David is preserved. That's how the family of David is destroyed. And in the end, it leads, you know, inexorably, it's, it's heading down the path to one or the other of them being dead. And so you see this, this family, it's, it's being torn apart rather than preserved, but God has made a promise that he will preserve 
David. And so down through the generations, he is preserved. He's preserved through that growth that we just got done talking about, the growth of the family. Generation after generation after generation, the church, the family of God is growing. Again, how? Well, through that that public declaration. And that public declaration starts here. This is a public service of worship, right? But it does not end here. It goes out. It goes out with each of us. It goes out as we leave as families. It goes out as we leave as individuals. And it is with us in our actions, yes. In our words, yes. But never on our own. This is how the truth of the mystery is preserved. So what does it look like for there to be an attack? We saw it with David's family, the the opposite of this this sort of preservation that, that we think of with a physical family. What about with the spiritual family, the church of God? Well, what we're going to see in the next chapter is that there is real danger of heresy and apostasy. Now, apostasy is when one person leaves the church and says, I have nothing to do with that. I have nothing to do with them. And to say that, I have nothing to do with them, in speaking of the church, is to say, I have nothing to do with him, God, the Father of that church. Heresy is not to leave and say, I have nothing to do with him, but is rather to twist what he has said to make the truth into a lie and stay in the church. But to stay in the church, to stay in the family, and pervert what the father of the family has said, brings about all sorts of problems in the family, doesn't it? Now, you kids have probably experienced this. Maybe your, uh, maybe your brother says it was just a joke. Maybe he said he tricked you. Uh, when, when, when he says, Dad said you need to go outside and run around in the rain. What? Really? Have, have you kids ever tried to play that card Dad said when it wasn't really anything that Dad said? Now, it can be a funny joke, right, and, and entirely harmless, but it can also be a way of you trying to get what you want. It's not a joke. It's you lying, and it brings all sorts of anger. It brings all sorts of division. It brings all sorts of fighting into the home because you're making use of the authority of your father to declare something that's not true. And this is what heresy is. And and so one of the dangers that we have 
as we're going to see coming up, is apostasy. Another one that we see is heresy. How is the church preserved? How is it protected from these dangers of heresy and apostasy? Well, again, a lot of it comes to rest on the shoulders of the pastors. Because Timothy has been told that he is to shut the mouths of those who are teaching these these heresies earlier in the book. And he's reminded of this several times, both in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, by the Apostle Paul, right? But, remember this is a public letter? And so the whole family is supposed to hear, the whole family is supposed to know what it is that God has said? So how is the unity of the body, the unity of the family, preserved? Well, the first and most important way is that the truth, and all of God's truth, is declared in the church, in the worship services, that his word is proclaimed on a regular basis, and that it is explained so that everybody understands it, right? Now, how does that work? Well, it works pretty simply. Again, think back to the family. If everybody in the family, in your house, knows what the rules of the house are, then there's very little confusion when somebody who's out to seek their own good, out to try to get their own way, turns around and says, you know, dad said, and then fill in the blank with the opposite of the family rules, right? Everybody knows that's not what dad said, as long as the rules are clearly explained, as long as they're clearly declared, as long as people are reminded of them on a regular basis, then we know, no, that's, there's no way God said that. There's no way dad said that. This is what the teaching of the word accomplishes for us. It preserves the church. It preserves the truth. So the truth and the church are interconnected. And that's what I want us to see. The church is the pillar and foundation, the pillar and support of the truth. And yet, the church does not exist without the truth. Right? It is through the truth that the church is united. What are we united around? That truth. The moment that we're not united around that truth, we are divided, we are in disagreement about the doctrine, about the teaching, about what God's word says. And so Paul, remember how how central the theme of unity is in this book. 
He wants the men without wrath and dissension everywhere to pray with their hands lifted up, right? His, he's trying to protect the church in all of these, all of these ways. He's trying to unite the church around the elders, around the deacons, around the word proclaimed. And so this is why it's so important for us to be a part of the church of the living God. What we always want to do is we want to have God, and we want to have God's blessings, but we want to have them on our own terms. And so what we'll try to do is we'll say, okay, here is what I believe. And we'll explicate all of the doctrines that are true that you see, for example, in verse 16. This mystery, this common confession, the mystery of godliness that Jesus was revealed in the flesh, that he was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I believe all of that, and I believe it all on my own, separate from everybody else, because everybody else is crazy and does stupid things and doesn't do the the way I like it and has this wrong belief and that wrong belief and so on, right? You, You know that temptation in yourself to just hold yourself aloof from the church, to hold yourself in judgment on the church, to hold yourself as just a little bit too cool to be really, you know, in the family. And anybody who's ever been a teenager understands this desire to, you know, kind of have a little bit of space from your family, right? Like, I don't know if I really want to be too closely associated with these people because they're so embarrassing, right? (laughs) Mom and dad are always so embarrassing, and sometimes they're embarrassing by loving me so much, and other times they're embarrassing by loving each other so much, and I'm just too cool for all of that. And sometimes they're, they're embarrassing because they're fighting with each other. And other times they're embarrassing for other sins, right? And, and you know, I just don't quite feel comfortable being really in this family. I, I, can't, I can't do that whole just being a kid anymore. And so you go through this, this time in life where you realize that you are your own, you are your own thing. You are a person. You are an individual. And you're trying to figure out what that means in relationship with your family, right? And this happens in the church as well. Where you, where you realize that there's, there's sins in the church. You realize that there's things that are embarrassing for the watching world because the world doesn't understand love. And so when there's love for one another in the body, it can be embarrassing if, if anybody in the world would see it. Now, 
that, that may be harder for you to understand. Certainly, we understand that it's embarrassing when there's sin in our church, right? Certainly, we understand that we, want, that, that we don't want to be ashamed of the behavior of the, the people that we are one with, united with in Christ. Certainly, we don't want our leaders to be caught in scandal. That would be embarrassing. And so there's a temptation. There's a temptation for us to hold ourselves aloof from the church. Now, you kids, I want you to hear this, so I'm going to change the words because withhold and aloof are kind of advanced words. I want all of you kids to listen. You are not too cool for your parents, and you are not too cool for church. You're not too cool to pray. You're not too cool to read the Bible. You're not too cool to associate with the people of God. It's your identity. And if it's not your identity, then you are refusing to be identified with God. And so down the path of being cool is the path of hating God the path of apostasy. We all have to remember that. Kids, adults. And the reason that we can't do that is because we are made into God's family, a household. We are made into his dwelling place, a living picture of his truth and his gospel mystery. And that is our common confession. Meaning you're not too cool to say the same thing as other people have said for 2,000 years. You don't need to try to come up with your own special way of saying it. You understand what I'm saying? Now, we do this with wedding vows, right? As though we're too cool to be associated with the vows that people have made down through the ages. Like, in our creative genius, we're going to come up with better ones. This is the exact same thing that we do. And and by the way, that's silly, because people in other ages understood marriage better than us today, right? But the same thing, and much more importantly, is true of the word, God's truth proclaimed. We're not looking for something new, something better than the Bible. We're not looking for something better than the church. We're not looking for some place where we can be unique individuals. What we're looking for is a place where we can be one with one another, underneath God as our Heavenly Father. It's a safe dwelling place, his home. You want to be in it. And so you can go out into the world and you can pretend that you're too cool for your dad's house. You can pretend that you're too cool to say I love you to your mom. 
You can pretend that you're too cool to take her call when she's worried. You can be embarrassed all you want, all right? But in the end, you know that you have a home to come home to and parents that love you. And isn't that sweet? Now, some of you may say, yeah, but I didn't. Yeah, but I don't. And I say, okay. But you do. You do in God. Because he is a loving Heavenly Father. And so you can look at the flaws of your dad all you want. And I don't care whether he was a godly, upstanding Christian his whole life or whether he was a rotter his whole life. He has sins. He has flaws. You do see them eventually. And if you've seen them, you can look at them and you can, you can try to stand far away from him and be like, well, I'm never going to be like him. And you can use that to justify never uniting yourself, never being vulnerable with others into the household of faith. Never taking the church as your mother, because you know that the church is filled with sinners. But here's the thing. God has made the church his bride, and he is perfecting her. And so if you unite yourself with the church of Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed. Because you are uniting yourself with God and his work going forward. And his work going forward is so sweet. We see the purity of the church growing. We see that promise being fulfilled, just as he said that he would establish a house for David, a house for himself, just as he said, you know, I don't need a tabernacle. I don't need a tent. I'm going to make a house. And then he says, purifying her. You're not too good to be a part of the pure bride of Christ. You're not too cool to have people pray for you. You're not too good to have any need of teaching. You're not too smart for that. You're not beyond correction. You're not beyond needing a pastor, not beyond needing elders. You're not beyond needing a mother in this this house that God has established. And what a sweet thing. Now, is that mother defined by this body? No. And I want to say that because it's, you know, it's always a temptation for us to try to perfectly associate the, the bride with the one, the one church that we're a part of. Or maybe make it a little bit bigger, Presbytery or denomination or so forth, right? But to, to make it perfectly associated with that, no. 
It's not perfectly connected. And if you don't know why that would be a temptation, great. We'll leave it there. But, but this family, this church is universal. It is made up of all of God's saints through all time. It is a picture of this mystery of the gospel. And for men to dwell together in unity, and that's really what you see in the church, I want you to hear, just like it's a miracle that your kids ever stop being embarrassed of you, it's a miracle for men to dwell together in unity. It's a miracle for men in this room, just a small number of men, to be able to lift up your hands without wrath and dissension among one another. It's a beautiful thing. It's a sweet thing. But it's a downright miracle. It's a sight for angels to be amazed by. Because they've seen what we're like. And they've seen what we're like with what we do without this gospel mystery. And so this is, this is the mystery. It's something that, it, that, that he says elsewhere that angels long to look into it. That's how amazing it is that God has saved his people. And so the only way that you can be a part of this church is if you truly accept these truths. If you believe on him, the one who is taken up into glory. Let's pray.